0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Untitled Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal, And today we're doing a little bit of a a sensitive topic, kind of something I'm still coming to terms with and trying to understand myself. So I apologize if this isn't a crazy, like advice-filled episode that is your forewarning. Um, But I do feel like there's a lot of value in me talking about this experience because I think that many other people have gone through something similar And, you know, like many of my other episodes, I'm looking to start a discussion. You know, there's a lot of one-off cases and it's very easy to feel like you're completely alone in how you're feeling, but, you know, most likely you aren't the only person experiencing this and, you know, I hope I can get a conversation started and people can find other people like them who have gone through similar things and, you know, we can kind of all get through it together. So, the topic of today is social anxiety and my fear of the world. And it's not something I've talked about too often. I, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but um, it's something that's had two major bouts in my life, so I kind of wanted to discuss those here. So let's define you know, social anxiety, right? So social anxiety is also called social phobia, and according to Mayo Clinic, um, it is a Fear and anxiety uh, lead to avoidance that can disrupt your life. Severe stress can affect your relationships, daily routines, work, school, or other activities. And I felt like that was a little bit of a bare bones definition. And when I was doing my research in general, I feel like the, the definitions were pretty bare bones. It wasn't until I started looking at the emotional and the behavioral symptoms that I started to get a, a proper understanding of what social anxiety was. And it was then that I was able to be like, that sounds a little bit more familiar to me. So some of the emotional and behavioral symptoms of social anxiety are an intense fear of interacting or talking with strangers, avoidance of situations where you might be the center of attention, expectation of the worst possible consequences from a negative experience during a social situation, intense fear or anxiety during social situations. And That's when I was like, yep, that sounds about right, you know. Um, You know, I personally haven't been diagnosed, so I'm not, you know, coming to you with a clinical diagnosis of social anxiety. But I do feel like there were a lot of similarities between um, the things that I just described to you and the things that I felt during these two major periods of my life, as I'll discuss soon. And, you know, I know there's this whole big thing about self-diagnosis and how you shouldn't fall into it and stuff like that. But at least to me, just a little bit, there's some closure that I get when I can put a name to the feeling. It's It feels infinitely worse and more isolating to me when I can't even begin to pinpoint what it is I'm experiencing. You know, when there's A name to it like social anxiety at least then I can say this is what I'm experiencing this is what recommended treatment is I can search up resources I can talk to people because I know exactly what it is that I'm going through so I still do say that if you have it at your disposal you know to still go seek therapists and psychiatrists and get to talk it out in a more professional setting but at least in my case um I said I'm not gonna you know I don't wear that badge of I have social anxiety I can't I mean I think so but I do know that it's not this, um, chronic, it's not chronic per se. As I said, I feel like I've had two major bouts. I don't think that really negates my experience entirely because it isn't a chronic experience. I think I'm getting a little bit off track here, but you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, if you've listened to my mental health episode, you know, I haven't had the greatest experience with everything in the noggin, right? Um, And I don't think I touched on anxiety at all in that episode. And it's only really been, I mean, as you'll see from the examples I give, it's more than the past year, but I would say it's really kicked up in the past year. Um, And I've also talked in other episodes about how I get overstimulated and drained very easily, particularly like a social battery. It's those are definitely ongoing problems for me that I have no way of fixing, or at least I feel like I don't. And the overstimulation and um, the very low social battery, I feel like these things made the situation I'm about to discuss all the more difficult. Um, yeah, because honestly, in these situations, I felt like I was even more sensitive to overstimulation and contact and with other people, and it, it would you know, distress me a lot more easily than it did before. And it caused stress, right? It was simply creating a lot of stress and anxiety in my life. And, you know, the two periods that I'm about to get into after this incredibly long introduction, the two periods of my life where I felt like I experienced something at least remotely similar to social anxiety were post-Parkland in 2018 and May slash June of 2020 during the height of the BLM protest. So starting to talk about, you know, post-Parkland, Um, That was February 14th of 2018. I just want to say that, you know, I don't think that I had it the worst or anything like that after the horrific shooting, that I'm the only person that experienced anything or, you know, as I said, like I I definitely didn't have it worse. I wasn't there and I can't imagine what the people who were there went through after that um, traumatic experience. But I will say that my general proximity to the shooting being about an hour away, you know, we're in the same state we're just a county away from each other but yeah my general proximity to the shooting the similarity in the ages of the victims and myself and just the sheer number of school shootings that were happening that year really made this particular instance hit really really hard it hit it hit close to home you know for lack of a better phrase and you know it it was it was a lot for a lot of people and i would like to take a 30 second moment of silence for the victims may they rest in peace i feel like that is um the most honorable thing i can do before continuing to talk so almost freely about such a situation so let's take the next 30 seconds of silence Thank you for sitting through that moment of silence. Um, I know it's not the craziest thing I could do in the world, but I thought it was at least the right thing to at least commemorate the the lives of those lost before continuing to talk about this event. Um, Continuing, um, you know how people say that they can remember exactly where they were and what they were doing during some of the biggest moments in history? this is where I was when this happened, this is where I was, and it would be like 20, 30 years in in the past, and you're like, how do you even remember that? And for me, I never used to understand that, because I was like, how is your memory that good? Especially when they were talking about events that didn't necessarily affect them um, personally. It might have been a big national event, but they weren't even remotely close to it, so I've always thought that was very interesting. And I never really believed that you could be so, you know, traumatized by something that you would remember exactly where you were and what you were doing until i was able to remember that post parkland for that was the big event for me that to this day and i'm someone that has horrible memory i've talked about it a lot but it's one of those things where i can remember exactly where i was and what i was doing almost down to what i was wearing in that particular moment you know i was at the bank i was at the bank yeah i was getting my first um my first debit card I was planning to go on a trip and you know I hate walking around with cash because I'm clumsy and I started getting texts from my friends and my mom was getting calls from my family members and they heard there was a shooting in Florida at high school and you know my family doesn't live in the U.S. most of them don't so when they just heard a shooting at a high school in Florida they thought it was mine and we were like no I have no idea what you're talking about and my friends started kind of updating me on the situation as it occurred Because I wasn't at home and, um, you know, at one point they told me it was, like, in Parkland, Florida. And I hadn't really heard of that area, so I didn't know where it was. And they were like, oh, yeah, that's, like, 45 minutes, an hour away. And it was like, wait a minute, you know? I mean, school shootings have always been a horrible thing to hear about. That's, That's literally one of the worst things you could do, right? One of the worst crimes you can commit. But it was a very different experience when it was in, like, Virginia or literally anywhere but florida having it not only having parkland have happened not only in florida but an hour away from where i lived was very much eye-opening to the fact that it could be anybody you know before i used to be like oh it could be anybody but there was a certain degree of like safety i felt that i had because we hadn't had any major school shootings in florida and then this happened and it kind of ripped off the band-aid for me kind of ripped away the safety net because i realized that I could literally be next. Like more so than ever, I realized that I could also be next. So I think that was what really hit hard about that situation. And even then, the weight of that situation didn't kind of even set in until I was at home that evening. So several hours after it had ended, that I was like, wait a minute, you know? 17, you know, innocent lives lost didn't really hit me until later. And I, and I felt horrible. I, As I said, I can't imagine what anybody who was there to witness it went through. I can't imagine what those families went through. Um, That's, you know, and as I said, I'm not trying to say that with me talking about my experiences with social anxiety post any of this, that, you know, I'm not saying that I had it worse than anybody that was there, or, you know, I'm the person that got hit so hard, you know, what about me, what about me? I'm not trying to make myself the center of attention or the number one victim or anything like that, not even close to that. But I think that there's this collective anxiety that people my age felt and continue to feel, especially if you're still in high school, around social, around sorry school shootings. There's just, you know, feeling this paranoia almost that you're going to be next. So I think I'm speaking more about that collective experience because I don't think that I've seen too many people talk about it in a non-joking manner, being like, oh my God, I could be next. But, you know, I don't think it's Fully set in for some of us that it really could be us next, and I don't think we've talked too much about it. Really unpacking that—that's almost PTSD, you know. I don't think we've collectively talked that through yet. So I hope that I'm contributing a bit more to that side of the conversation. And you know, I felt very, very sad and upset and frustrated. But even this isn't really where the anxiety began. It didn't. It wasn't an immediate thing following the the ending of the shooting that same day. It wasn't until we returned to school after the shooting that it, it set in, you know, because again, head is my head is on a swivel, right? It's like, because it's like, you don't know who to trust. Those kids went to school that day. Their parents took them to school, kissed them goodbye before they got on the bus. No one could have expected that that's how that particular day would have gone. You know, you couldn't have expected that that would be the last day you would have seen a loved one. So I think it's that, you know, expect the unexpected that really took over my head that first day back at school, because it's like, you know, I don't know. You know, I've 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 to me at least a pretty big school. I mean, compared to other schools in Florida, it's not that big, but I don't know ninety five percent of the people here. I'm not saying that you look like a school shooter. You look like a shooter, nothing like that because you just never know. But it's the fact that you never know that freaked me out even more. You sit in class, you never know someone might reach into their backpack, and boom, it's right then and there you're in that situation. So that's what really freaked me out and continued to freak me out for the entire time i was in in high school so for the next two years after that but particularly talking about this day after um when we returned to school after the shooting we were planning to have a a protest against gun violence of course our school was very stupid and said that you couldn't do a walkout because we wanted to walk down to city hall and they said no you're all going to get in trouble and i'm kind of like that is probably the most insensitive thing you could have said to a group of high school students right now but do you i guess so they can find us to like the bus loop and while we were waiting for that to happen for the students because they were going to make an announcement and tell us okay now it's okay for you to protest which i have a lot of opinions on people trying to control protests but that's for another day while we were waiting in the classroom for that to happen um i think they had just made the announcement but everyone in our room was like let's give it a few seconds let's be sure you know because You know, we were all aware of how Parkland happened, that the fire alarm was rung and students filtered into the hallway. And then that's how they were able to get students to gather. So we were kind of like, let's give it a second. Right. So we're sitting there and there's just a massive boom in the hallway. The classroom literally fell silent. We were all kind of looking at each other. Some of us looked a little spooked, myself included. And we were all like, no, there's no way. There's no way. So we were all just kind of sitting there. Until someone finally like broke the silence, it was like guys, I think someone just dropped a book in the hallway or something. But that moment right there really sold it to me how like messed up we all were after that, how scared we all were that a simple textbook falling on the floor in the hallway we thought it was a gunshot. You know, like I think that that being the reality for American high school students is probably one of the saddest things ever. Um, I really I think it goes to show how much we've been failed by our government in terms of. Curbing this issue and you know, like, like how how the lack of gun legislation that we've had for so many decades has real life consequences, things that many people are gonna have to live with for the rest of their lives. So and you know, like to make it worse, you know, it didn't end there. It wasn't like, okay, we breathed a sigh of relief and then we walked confidently to the the protest in the bus loop. We were like dragging our feet. Me and my best friend in particular, we were like this, you know, we knew, you know, that this wasn't like an uh, impromptu type thing. We didn't have to be suspicious about the protest itself. We knew why we were going, but we were at the same time, it's like, you know, there's going to be like a thousand kids gathered in one place, like highly concentrated because the bus loop isn't that big. You know, if someone decided to have a shooting, this is what would be considered a quote unquote like a prime target because it's just a bunch of people packed into a very small space where running away would be incredibly difficult so that we were thinking about the logistics of this the entire time we were walking down to the protest we were like okay but there's this exit so if this needs to happen we have to do this grab this person do this do that we were 16 i was 16 at the time that this happened so the fact that we were thinking like that and continue to think like that for the rest of the time we were in high school as I said, is incredibly, it's such a disappointing thing and it's a really sad thing for me to have to recount right now because it's like no kid should be, no one should be living like that with, you know, feeling like you have a target on your back and constantly looking over your shoulder, especially for such a preventable issue. We're not talking natural disasters, unpredictable natural disasters. We're talking about, you know, an issue that would largely be curbed with gun legislation and just, getting people help when they need it you know i think it's a very it's a very interesting thing that we treat it as this like you know as a completely unpredictable like naturally occurring event i think that's we really do treat it like a naturally occurring event like it is what it is type of thing and we can't control it but we can so i think that's very interesting Mm. sorry i took a sip of water um we'll continue And as I said, it didn't end there. It didn't end with my sophomore year of high school. I began um, to fear going to all school gatherings, literally going to lunch. Again, small space in an enclosed building, like a thousand kids at a time. If someone walked through the cafeteria doors, blocked those doors off and started shooting into the cafeteria, there was no second exit. There's no exit whatsoever, right? So I, I got really, I literally would plan through my days in that way. Being like, I need to stay close to the exit. Does this, you know, I would think through every room I have to enter, does this room have a second exit? If something happens, do I go under the desk or is it smarter to go into the corner? You know, did you know, like, I don't, I don't know if it was in all schools all over the country. I think it was that we started having school shooter drills. Like literally, like that became a thing, like sophomore, junior year. I know for sure junior year, we started having school shooter drills. As I said, as if this is some naturally occurring, unpreventable Like tornado or something. It's not, and it was really scary. I'm not even gonna get into that. I'll talk about that a few a bit more in a minute. But I feared going to lunch. I feared going to assemblies in the auditorium because again, there was only one way in, one way out. Very small doorways, lots of seats to fit people, but all those people can't get out at one time, you know. Another thing was when we had to leave at the end of the school day. We had a a a loop, like a horseshoe, through which you could come in and out. And especially during dismissal, you know, anybody could really drive through it. People would really use it to make, like, illegal U-turns and stuff back onto the street. So because strangers could enter, and I always think about the fact that we exit um, this particular main building on campus, and you're standing directly at that, um, like, horseshoe, that if someone decided to drive through and stick a gun out the window, as this massive herd of children are coming out of one single building, come on now like I just couldn't stop thinking like that as if the next potential shooter was always around the corner and it instilled a lot of fear in me you know you never know who could be next and it, it could literally be be you and that that thought that possibility completely messed with my head and I feared high school just in general it was it was tough and even outside of school I feared going to public places and this was made significantly you know worse by so many threats of copycats and there was a lot of close calls in Florida, like people who would call in and be like, I suspect so-and-so and they'd be like, you know, we caught this person that as they were just pulling up to school with a gun in their backpack and it's like, are you kidding me? You know, it's always like, what if someone didn't make a phone call? What if someone didn't realize something was off? How many more lives would have been lost then, you know? So that was terrifying. That was completely terrifying. And as I said, I, I I'm sure that you know, plenty of other people experienced this post-shooting anxiety. And it was just, you know, we're talking high school ages like 14 to 18. Thinking about some 14-year-olds thinking like that is just like a, a scary thing. You're a child. We're all children. We're all children. And the fact that children are walking around fearing dying in school of all places, right? We're not just talking death in general. Although I, you know, developed a general fear of, Of gatherings in public spaces even more so with the next um, incident I'll talk about but it's like you know what I'm saying like you you fear dying in school of all places it's a strange strange thing to to think about and you know I don't think I ever actively did anything to get over it I think I feel a lot better now of course I'm about to be a sophomore in college right it's been like three four years since this happened Wow, four, it doesn't, know. three. Quick math skills are still failing me now. But I, I didn't actively do anything to get over it. Unfortunately, I never went to therapy. I really talked it over with one person. But as I said, you know, we were more so discussing escape routes more than anything. And I think even talking to each other didn't really cure the anxiety because, you know, like that wouldn't prevent, you know, God forbid a shooting from happening. I think it mostly passed with time as I didn't see too many other major shootings on the news. I think if there was kind of this just consistent cycle, I think that would have heightened my anxiety significantly more. But I think that because, you know, things quote-unquote cool down, of course, plenty of shootings still happened across the country, plenty of shootings still riddled predominantly Black and Latino high schools, and that never got the recognition that it deserved. No one was trying to help those kids. Again, that's something that hurts me a lot, but it's a conversation for another day and you know, kind of backing track though, that those shootings tend not to get um, publicity. So because I wasn't seeing those and I wasn't seeing any other shootings, at least in my head, I could pretend that nothing was happening. So then I could kind of be like, okay, cool it. You're fine. You're safe. Everything will be fine. And this is why I was pretty, you know, unfortunately relieved to leave school with the lockdown last year. It's A very icky sentence to say that I was relieved that we went on lockdown. There was was an entire pandemic and millions of lives were lost. And I can't, you know, I don't feel comfortable saying things like I'm happy that happened. I'm not. I, I wish we didn't have a pandemic, of course. I wish all those people were still here to be with their families. But I can't, you know, help but selfishly think that a part of me was like, Thank God I don't have to go back to school because now the chance of me dying in a school shooting drops to 0% if I'm not in school. And I know I'm not the only person that felt like that because I remember, you know, this is the time I still had social media. People were like, oh, at least we don't have to worry about school shootings anymore because none of us are in school. You have to think about how trash that is, how garbage, how unfortunate that is, again, that kids are even thinking like that. And that going into lockdown from a pandemic is something to even be remotely relieved about, you know? And as I said, I'm very selfish. You know, I feel, I very selfishly, part of me thought that, you know, it was the first thing to cross my mind when they said we weren't going back to school. Like, literally, that was one of the first things that crossed my mind. That I was like, okay, at least I don't have to worry about that thing anymore. It's, it's unfortunate. It's disappointing, to say the least. It's very upsetting. And, you know, even before this, it's really sad How many times I talked about like escape routes because I switched schools, as you know, like the year after I didn't switch schools because of anything related to Parkland. But I'm starting with my junior year. I was at a new school. It was on a a college campus, a very open campus. But I felt somewhat safer because we did have like a police station. We had a military base on our campus. But I guess it was also very, very open and it was a completely spread out campus. So we had to plan new escape routes. And we did. Trust me. We were like, if I'm in this building... How far are you from the nearest exit? There's a parking lot over here. If you have to run here, we're like, okay, she always parks her car in this parking lot. We all know that we get split up. We have different classes. We all need to, you don't even have to pull out your phone and text anybody. We need to meet at her car and we drive and we go home. I live closest to campus. We can head over there. Like that's literally how we were thinking junior year. We had to plan it in advance because we were like, you never know. And another thing that, although it was nice that it was open so you can escape quickly, it also meant that anybody could come onto campus. So it couldn't it would be even a non-student could come onto campus and decide to shoot the place up to say it in a very colloquial way and that was also terrifying and we were on a campus with adults so you know this is now adult level problems it's you know so it's like we didn't really know what to do with that but we did plan our escape routes and we talked about it multiple times over the two years or year and a half i guess that we were on campus so that was tough And I really hope that, you know, kids in the future, even kids now don't have to do that because that's, you shouldn't have to do that. And as I said, I was going to talk about before we wrap up and move on to the next thing, you know, that we have school shooter drills now. And I started doing them. I'm pretty sure it was junior year of high school at this new school. You know, you'd have to stand in the corner. You had to be silent. Um, The first one freaked me out because I didn't know that that was a thing. They were like, we're having a school shooter drill. And I was like, we're having a what now? And that was terrifying. And then I guess after that, it was just like, I mean, none of us really took it seriously, or at least we tried to, because I think if we did, we all would have like pissed ourselves or something from fear. So it was easier for us to pretend that it was a joke, Oh, it's never going to happen or whatever. It was easier for us to think that way than for us to actually sit there in complete silence and be like, what if there's literally, what if this isn't a drill, you know, like that would have been a lot more terrifying. So I think a lot of us coped with humor. Um, but again, the I don't like the way the situation is being handled. Obviously, most students don't. Most parents don't. It's just a really America's a tough place to live in. It's a very it's a very hard place to live in. It's very hard on your mental health. I don't know what else how else to put it. They said this built up a lot of anxiety in me, and I've never been someone that had like an intense fear of death, but I do think I developed one post Parkland. And it never went away. Of, of all the other feelings I'm talking about with social anxiety, I think that I've been able to control that a little bit better. Um, but the the fear of death thing, a fear of violent death in particular, has never left me. I'm, I'm still terrified that that's what's going to happen. And it always has me kind of on red alert. But we're moving forward now. On to the second bout. As I said, things kind of cooled down for me. I don't think everything went Completely away. As I talked about, I never stopped fearing that the next school shooting would happen and that it would happen to me, but it quelled quite a lot when I didn't see any major incidents, especially none close to me. But it pretty much shot back up about two and a half years later um, during the height of the BLM protests. And again, it was pretty similar. Um, But this one I think was definitely very hard hitting and it felt as what I can only imagine true anxiety felt like and fear of the outside and fear of other people could feel like I felt like it was very strong here and I think this is the one that left me a lot more shaken up and it took a lot longer for me to get over this um it was pretty much just the culmination of frustration that we made so much little progress um in the Black Lives Matter movement that something like this could happen again and fear that I could be next again just Fear of being a victim, right? And again, you know, no one ever thinks it's going to be them until it is. You you go to the park thinking you're going to just play around. Boom. You go to the grocery store to pay for something. Boom. You, you're driving down the street. You get pulled over. You think, okay, they're going to ticket me and I can go about my business. And you never make it home that day. It's the simplest things. And, you know, my mom always says, like, you know, just when you leave your house one day, you don't know if you're going to come back. And she always used to say, and I was like, you're being very overdramatic. But like, I think this situation on top of so many others really proved to me that that is 110% true. So then I, you know, told myself if I don't leave my house, nothing can happen to me, which I'll talk about a bit more. I kind of want to talk about one of the ways in which this anxiety kind of manifested itself. If you know me, you know that I don't drive. I am 19 years old. I turned 20 in like six months and I still don't drive. Um, got my permit though. So, that's great. Was planning to get my license before I went back to school, but I'm a procrastinator and I don't have time and I probably won't be able to do that, which sucks, but whatever. But if you know me, you know I don't drive. And I have other reasons as I said I'm a procrastinator when all my friends were getting their permits and licenses in high school, I had no interest in it. And then at one point I said I was going to do it, then I put it off and I didn't do it and then to be honest, I just forgot until I graduated high school. So, yeah, but another part of it was You know, I never, I've never talked about this. I brought it up one time. The first time I ever said this out loud was during my sociology of race and ethnicity class, my freshman fall, because we were talking about this stuff and I felt like, okay, it's like, I just need to say it to someone. Like, I just need to get it off my chest because it took me a minute to realize why I didn't go back for my license. Why I never tried to even take the drug and alcohol test online, the permit test online. There's a reason why. And it took me a while to realize. And then I realized, and it's, it was this. You know, this, this incident was a huge part of what squashed the remaining interest I had in learning how to drive. I thought that if I never learned to drive, I could never be pulled over, and that would make the likelihood of me becoming a victim of police brutality lower. Think about that for a second. <laughs> That's what I told myself. I think there was still some truth to my statement. I was like, if I'm never in the driver's seat, I'm not going to get pulled over nothing will happen to me at least not that it would never happen but the likelihood of it happening decreases because there's one less incident in which it could happen and it's really you know freaking sad that i was thinking like that and you know i've only recently decided to get my license again which is now right now it's um actually the last day of july of 2021 so we're talking like a year and two months a year and a month later that's how long it's taken me to be like okay i can i can do this now You know, I need to learn how to drive. I just have to kind of move on from that. It's taken me a year. Sad fact, right? Especially when you think about the fact that I was home my freshman fall. So I totally could have gone for my license at that point if I wanted to. But again, I didn't feel like, I didn't feel comfortable with driving. I was terrified. I mean, again, I also have a fear of violent death. So I don't want to die in a car accident. That was another thing. But another huge part of it was that fear of, you know, becoming another victim. And I feared, you know, following all of this, going outside. Um, I feared the police. I feared people. The protests honestly scared me more. I thought that they were doing amazing work. I looked up to every single person. I had friends that went, and I'm so proud of them, and I'm so happy that they went because I was terrified of going outside. I was scared because I was like, as much as I want to protest, what if a police car comes? I would literally probably have an anxiety attack right then and there. If a police car passed me by at a protest, I saw horrible videos of people being beat. And it was just, it was horrible. And I literally didn't want to go outside because I'm like, if these people who are meant to protect you are capable of such of such violence and just horrible behavior, I don't even want to walk on the same side of the street as you. So then I just didn't want to go outside. And I, I carried this bit of guilt for a while, at least for a month, you know, during the protests of being like, Here I am, this big person that loves talking about um, dismantling institutionalized racism and standing up for Black Lives Matter and is posting all this stuff online and, you know, but doesn't have the balls to get up and go to the protest. First of all, my mom didn't want to let me go regardless. But I also didn't even try to ask because I was terrified to go outside and I felt guilty. I was like, who am I to talk about this stuff? Yet I'm not outside, you know, putting in the work. I felt like a fraud. And sometimes I still do. I can admit it. Sometimes I still feel like a fraud that even if the chance presented itself tomorrow to go to another protest, I still don't think I could do it. I'm terrified. Like, I'm absolutely terrified. And it's just, I, you know, I think, you know, part of, I guess, what comes with anxiety, which what I read about in my research is just this fear of every situation. Just You just fear the worst possible outcome for every situation. And that is indeed how I am set. And that's how I'm built. And I I hate it with a burning passion, but I cannot help it. And it scared me. Um, You know, as I said, just so many cases of good, innocent black people leaving their houses to go about their day and they don't come back home. I didn't want to be one of those people. And, you know, of course, because of lockdown, you know, the protests did, you know, we were still in lockdown, of course, fighting for human rights totally i gave you a pass go ahead wear your mask and keep it pushing which most people did and i was very happy to see that um so yeah because of lockdown i wasn't leaving my house much anyways but i didn't leave my house period like i didn't even want to go to the mailbox i was like we have to go to the supermarket and i was like do we really have to go to the supermarket right now like you know and i didn't want to talk to anybody about what i was feeling because i felt like you know they would just be like brush it off or whatever oh, it'll never be you or you know you're being overdramatic or anything i mean i would hope that no one would say something like that to my face um but I, I feared rejection or people belittling my feelings. And I always fear that. Even if the people around me are the kindest people in the planet, I still don't like telling people about that kind of stuff for fear you know, of belittling. So I kind of just had to find ways to be like, oh, I don't really want to go outside today without anybody really realizing. And again, the pandemic was perfect cover because I could just say that that was why I wasn't going outside. But it was definitely much more than that. I didn't want to leave my house unless it was an absolute emergency. I had to be starving to death and there was no food in the refrigerator. Then I would go to the grocery store, you know? And when I did leave my house, the very few times I did during that time period, I was shaking. Like, my hands were shaking. My heart was racing. My head, you know, constant swivel. Sorry. And I I literally was just in a panic mode when I had to leave my house. I feared the grocery store, you know? I just... I was terrified I do live in a predominantly black neighborhood so then I was just like oh my god like what if you know like what if someone decides you know like this is the place like no like don't you know they want to make a a statement or a scene or an example out of us I was terrified and you know I would like keep my eyes on the speedometer because I was driving with my mom and sometimes she's a heavy foot so I'd be like you know like oh you know oh you're going a little bit fast oh you're a little over the speed limit oh be careful whatever But, like, the real reason I was doing it is because I'm like, girl, you better not start speeding because if you start speeding and a cop pulls us over, I might actually have an anxiety attack right here, right now in the passenger seat. I was terrified. So then I tried to do everything I could to potentially limit an interaction with the police. It, It was just, it was bad. And I remember this particular time driving to Publix and literally, like, freaking out and then having to pretend I was completely fine, but, like, my hand was shaking. And I think, as I said, like, that was, to me, the truest instance of of anxiety that I ever felt in my life that was I think I mean I regret not reaching out to get help at that time um but it was it was hard that was that was really hard and I don't like talking about it because I I feel uncomfortable all over again so we're gonna keep we're gonna keep it pushing so we can wrap things up for today um and you know as I said this ties into my fear of the police. You know, you never know who's going to decide to be a piece of crap and harass you that day. And, you know, even now, um, a little over a year later, I still go the extra mile to make sure I look non-threatening. You know, um, I go to a, a predominantly white institution. We have police stationed all over campus. Of course, they say it's for our safety. That doesn't scare me any less. It makes me very nervous, especially if I'm walking around by myself at night. There have been plenty of incidences at my school and other schools like it of black students of the schools walking around and people being like, what are you doing here? And they're like, I'm a student. There was that thing of the, I think the girl went to Yale and she was sleeping in the common room of her like dorm building. And they were like, someone literally called the police being like, there's a random black woman sleeping on the couch. And she's like, I literally go here and had to show them her ID. I always feared that that would happen to me. So, you know, <clears throat> I would, as I said, go the extra mile to look non-threatening. I would always make eye contact, like good eye contact. Because if I feel like if I looked, like my eyes were running around too much, if I looked sketch, they would like stop to talk to me. So I'd like look, I'd make eye contact. I would smile really politely. I would make a nod to like acknowledge that I see them. And I would try to keep my hands out of my pocket. I literally was on campus this past spring semester, like three, four months ago. And I did it every single time. I mean, dead serious. I have to, even if I'm just passing you and you're not even looking at me, I will still look at you to make sure that We see each other. You know, I don't look like I'm trying to avoid you in any way. I don't look suspicious. I acknowledge you. I look like I'm being very polite. And I move on. Of course, I just consider myself a polite person, but I also don't want to die. So then, yes, that's what I have to do. And honestly, I even started to fear normal people, non-police officers too. Violent racists are everywhere, unfortunately. And I also live in Florida. So you never know who's going to randomly decide to attack you. Again, you may leave your house and someone decides, this is the day you're not going to go back. So I feared people, period. I never knew who would decide to attack me for absolutely no reason. And it, it was a very tough place to be in. And again, I feared outside. Just being outside, away from the comfort and protection of my own home and of my bedroom. You know, even just like police brutality aside for a second, it wasn't just... Fear of becoming a victim to that, but just a fear of the possibilities of what could happen to you once you're outside. You know, I told myself that if I never went outside, I could never get hurt, I could never be killed, nothing. Just stay at home, stay in your bed. You know, what could really happen to you? The likelihood of the house collapsing on you is very low. So what could really happen? So I spent every day in bed, on my phone. I tried to do my best, you know, donating what I had. I don't work still to this day, but, you know, I tried to donate what I could to like the Chicago Bail Fund, the Philly Bail Fund and you know I tried to spread resources on social media and you know but I, I was still too scared to go outside as I said and it did make me feel like a fraud I was proud of how much I had done when I tell you I was putting in that work I felt like I was working a part-time job on Instagram because I would wake up in the morning I would start you know searching through hashtags and getting resources and reposting and donating and telling people hey try this try try that let's clear this hashtag up people can't get resources like you know like i felt like i was helping but i also to some degree felt like i wasn't doing enough because i didn't have my boots on the ground you know and you know with this whole fear of being outside i felt like sheila from from shameless that lady never left her house and i used to laugh at her and be like this lady's absolutely insane but then being in that situation i could totally understand her her fear of the outside like it's a very i don't know if i could say oh it's rational i think it was pretty rational on my part and on her part you know so all respects to sheila um But yeah, spending so much time indoors and in bed did take its toll, and I I feared that I was falling into a depressive episode. You know, I kept thinking about how I felt. I was walking around, you know, like I said, with this target on my back, how I would always have to live in constant fear so long as I was living in the United States and that I would never be accepted, that just violence and death would just be a constant part of my experience living here. When I tell you I did more research than ever about moving out of the U.S., I still desire to do so, and it is still partly because of this. Because, you know, even though the general anxiety, the the height of the anxiety that I felt last year has, you know, come down quite a bit, it's not gone. It is still a very rational, unfortunately, rational fear and anxiety to have, because it literally can be anyone at any time. So once I really, you know, really, really, really realized that, I was like, I can't live here and I don't want to. It sucks that so much of the work that I want to do, though, is based here, Um, makes the most sense to do it here. That creates a lot of frustration for me because I want to leave. For the sake of my safety, I want to leave. I'm not saying that racism doesn't exist anywhere else, but violent racism, to the degree that it exists here, is very uniquely United States. Um, But yeah, I felt like absolute garbage, and it was a tough couple weeks before I got back out of that. And as I said, the residual anxiety didn't really go away for like six months later by the end of my, you know, freshman fall, and, you know, I want to say to my, my black listeners, you know, protect your mental health, and your space, and your energy, because this stuff is exhausting, and I saw, I was really happy to see people promoting, like, um, black mental health on social media around the time of the protest, being like, if you got to log off, you know, do it, because a lot of, a lot of very disturbing imagery and videos were circulating, and it's, it's hard to see all of that, and it, it makes you very scared and anxious, as what I was feeling. And kind of staying in the thick of it can be a lot on you, you know? It's, it's absolutely mentally exhausting. It's tough. And I had never really felt it until last year. And, you know, take time to heal, is all I can say. Take your time. And before we get into the conclusion, I'm sorry I didn't do this earlier. It slipped my mind. I would also like to take... um another 30 second moment of silence to george floyd i apologize for speaking so so freely about the events of last year and never you know naming him as he should have been i apologize but i do still um, want to take 30 seconds of silence Thank you. I apologize for not doing that earlier. And now let's kind of get into the conclusion. Um, I don't really know how I overcame any of this. I just, you know, can only assume that time really does heal all wounds. I guess the less that I thought about it and the more time that passed, the better I felt. But as I said, I feel like I've just managed to quell this anxiety very, very well. I don't think, I mean, talking about it right now feels very therapeutic for me because I've never talked about it out loud, <clears throat> especially last year. I think I've talked a bit about the school shooting um, anxiety with other, you know, high school um, students my age with my peers. But I've never talked about what happened last year, like ever, at least not in this much um, detail. So this feels very therapeutic for me. So I I recommend, sorry, if you have the chance to talk it through with someone, I highly recommend that you do. Um, It's a tough thing to live with and to internalize and to... Just really keep locked up inside, because it's very scary to think that this could happen again. And with the way that things are kind of going at the moment, it is unfortunate to think that it could happen again, and has happened again since um, Mr. George Floyd, which is horrible. And I don't even know what to say. You know, it's just, it's, it's. I think it's just going to be a constant anxiety. I, I, I wish I could leave you on a better note than that. I wish I could give you. Better advice to those who have, you know, gone through something similar or are going through something similar right now. And that's why I had to give that disclaimer at the beginning. You know, it's a sad episode to listen to, and it, because there's kind of still feelings that I'm still, you know, battling with, or struggling with right now, I can't, you know, I can't give as much advice as I wish I could. Um, it's just a very difficult situation to be in. The most I can say, is, you know, what I was saying before, is unplug yourself. Social media can kind of feed into these feelings of anxiety, like, insanely. It's one thing to be cognizant, to be aware that there's an incident that has occurred, but to constantly be reminded of it over and over and over and over again. You know, even if it's innocently in the way of spreading resources, it can still be a lot to take in. So, you know, unplug from social media as necessary. Um, Yeah, I feel like you shouldn't feel like a fraud in the ways that I did if you fear going to these big social gatherings. I fear social gatherings, period. Um, You know, I don't think you should feel like a fraud in the way that I did. I don't think that did anything for me other than make me feel bad for myself. And I don't really feel like that now is the time for that. Never is the time for that, really. You shouldn't beat yourself up over something like that. It's a very natural feeling to feel fear. It's a very natural thing. Um, I think I say you should just help in the ways that you can, even if you don't feel comfortable going to these places physically um but yeah just help in any way that you can and your best is all that you can really do and that is more than enough and you know although i couldn't offer you in this episode some life-changing advice because as i said i still feel like i'm in recovery and i haven't figured everything out i hope that me sharing my experience lets you know that you're not alone and that you'll get through this as i said time will heal all wounds even if it takes an extremely long period of time, you know, your time will come. And, you know, I do have hope that things will get better. I think that might be a while from now, but I do have hope that it, it will get better. And I hope that that optimism offers you something. So, yes, thank you so much for listening this far. It was a little tough for me to make this episode, but as I said, talking it through made me feel so much better. And as I said, I hope my experience... And me talking about my experiences helps you as well. So this has been the Untitled Podcast, and this has been your host, Crystal. Thank you very much, and have a wonderful day.